Welcome to the doctrine of justification by faith through the imputation of the righteousness of Christ, explained, confirmed, and vindicated by Dr. John Owen. We will be continuing to read from page 79 for this reading. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. Many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more at great discounts, are on the web at www.swrb.com. Also, please consider, pray, and act upon the important truths found in the following quotation by Charles Spurgeon. As the Apostle says to Timothy, so also he says to everyone, Give yourselves to reading. He who will not use the thoughts of other men's brains proves that he has no brains of his own. You need to read. Renounce as much as you will all light literature, but study as much as possible sound theological works, especially the Puritanic writers and expositions of the Bible. The best way for you to spend your leisure is to be either reading or praying. And now, to SWRB's reading of the doctrine of justification by faith through the imputation of the righteousness of Christ, explained, confirmed, and vindicated, which we hope you will find to be a great blessing, and which we pray draws you nearer to the Lord Jesus Christ. For He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man come unto the Father but by Him. John 14, verse 6. Number 4. To understand the nature of justifying faith aright, or the act and exercise of justifying faith, in the order unto our justification, which are properly inquired after, we must consider the order of it. First, the things which are necessary previous thereunto, and then what it is to believe with respect unto them. As, parentheses number one, the state of a convinced sinner, who is the only non-English words, this has been spoken unto already, and the necessity of its precedency unto the orderly proposal and receiving of evangelical righteousness unto justification demonstrated. If we lose a respect hereunto, we lose our best guide towards the discovery of the nature of faith. Let no man think to understand the gospel who knows nothing of the law. God's constitution and the nature of the things themselves have given the law the precedency with respect unto sinners. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. And gospel faith is the soul's acting according to the mind of God for deliverance from that state and condition which it is cast under by the law. And all those descriptions of faith which abound in the writings of learned men which do not at least include in them a virtual respect unto this state and condition, or the work of the law on the consciences of sinners, are all of them vain speculations. There is nothing in this whole doctrine that I more firmly adhere unto than the necessity of the convictions mentioned previous unto the true believing, without which not one line of it can be understood aright and men do but beat the air in their contentions about it. See Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 24. 
parentheses number two. We suppose herein a sincere assent unto all divine revelations, whereof the promises of the grace and mercy by Christ are an especial part. This Paul supposes in Agrippa when he would have won him over unto faith in Christ Jesus. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Acts chapter 26 verse 27. And this assent which respects the promises of the gospel, not as they contain, propose, and exhibit the Lord Christ and the benefits of his mediation unto us, but as divine revelations of infallible truth, is true and sincere in its kind, as we described it before under the notion of temporary faith. But as it proceeds no farther, as it includes no act of the will or heart, it is not that faith whereby we are justified. However, it is required hereunto, and is included therein. Parentheses number three. The proposal of the gospel, according unto the mind of God, is hereunto supposed. That is, that it be preached according unto God's appointment. For not only the gospel itself, but the dispensation or preaching of it in the ministry of the church is ordinarily required unto believing. This the apostle asserts and proves the necessity of it at large. Romans chapter 10 verse 11 to 17. Herein the Lord Christ and his mediation with God, the only way and means for our justification and salvation of lost convinced sinners, as a product and effect of divine wisdom, love and grace and righteousness, is revealed, declared, proposed, and offered unto such sinners. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. Romans chapter 1 verse 17. The glory of God is represented as in a glass. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 18. And life and immortality are brought to light through the gospel. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 10. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 3. Wherefore, parentheses number 4. The persons who are required to believe, and whose immediate duty it is so to do, are such who really in their own consciences are brought unto and do make the inquiries mentioned in the scripture. What shall we do? What shall we do to be saved? How shall we fly from the wrath to come? Wherewithal shall we appear before God? How shall we answer what is laid unto our charge? Or such as, being sensible of the guilt of sin, do seek for a righteousness in the sight of God. Acts chapter 2 verse 37 and 38. Chapter 16 verse 30 and 31. Micah chapter 6 verse 6 and 7. Isaiah chapter 35 verse 4. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 18. On these suppositions, the command and direction given unto men being, Believe and thou shalt be saved. The inquiry is, what is that act or work of faith whereby we may obtain a real interest or propriety in the promises of the gospel and the things declared in them unto their justification before God? And, number one, it is evident from what has been discoursed that it does not consist in that it is not to be fully expressed by any one single habit or act of the mind or will distinctly whatever. 
For there are such descriptions given of it in the scripture. Such things are proposed as the object of it, and such is the experience of all that sincerely believes, as no one single act, either of the mind or will, can answer unto. Nor can an exact method of those acts of the soul, which are concurrent therein, be prescribed. Only what is essential unto it is manifest. Number two. That which in order of nature seems to have the precedency as the ascent of the mind unto that which the psalmist betakes himself unto in the first place for relief, under a sense of sin and trouble. Psalms 130, verses 3 and 4. If thou, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? The sentence of the law and judgment of conscience lie against him as unto any acceptation with God. Therefore, he despairs in himself of standing in judgment, or being acquitted before him. In this state, that which the soul first fixes on, as unto its relief, is that there is forgiveness with God. This, as declared in the gospel, is that God in His love and grace will pardon and justify guilty sinners through the blood and mediation of Christ. So it is proposed, Romans chapter 3, verse 23 and 24. The ascent of the mind hereunto, as proposed in the promise of the gospel, is the root of faith, the foundation of all that the soul does in believing. Nor is there any evangelical faith without it. But yet, consider it abstractedly as a mere act of the mind. The essence and nature of justifying faith does not consist solely therein, though it cannot be without it. But, number three, this is accompanied in sincere believing with an approbation of the way of deliverance and salvation proposed as an effect of divine grace, wisdom, and love, whereon... The heart does rest in it, and apply itself unto it, according to the mind of God. This is that faith, whereby we are justified, which I shall farther evince, by showing what is included in it, and inseparable from it. Parentheses number one. It includes in it a sincere renunciation of all other ways and means for the attaining of righteousness, life, and salvation. This is essential unto faith. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Hosea chapter 14, verses 2 and 3. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 23. Psalms 71, verse 16. I will make mention of thy righteousness, of thine only. When a person is in the condition before described, and such alone are called immediately to believe, Matthew chapter 9, 13 chapter 11, verse 28, 1 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 15. Many things will present themselves unto him for his relief, particularly his own righteousness, Romans, chapter 10, verse 3. A renunciation of them all, as unto any hope or expectation of relief from them, belongs unto sincere believing, Isaiah, chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. Parentheses number two, there is in it the will's consent, whereby the soul betakes itself cordially and sincerely, as unto all its expectation of pardon of sin and righteousness before God, unto the way of salvation proposed in the gospel. 
This is that which is called coming unto Christ and receiving of Him, whereby true justifying faith is so often expressed in the Scripture, or, as it is peculiarly called, believing in Him, or believing on His name. The whole is expressed. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me. Parenthesis number three, an acquiescence of the heart in God, as the author and principal cause of the way of salvation prepared, as acting in a way of sovereign grace and mercy towards sinners, who by him do believe in God, and raised him up from the dead, and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. First Peter chapter 1 verse 21 The heart of a sinner does herein give unto God the glory of all those holy properties of his nature which he designed to manifest in and by Jesus Christ. See Isaiah chapter 42 verse 1 and chapter 49 verse 3 And this acquiescence in God is that which is the immediate root of that waiting patience, long-suffering, and hope, which are the proper acts and effects of justifying faith. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 12, 15, 18, and 19. Parenthesis number 4. Trust in God, or the grace and mercy of God in and through the Lord Christ, as set forth to be the propitiation through faith in His blood, does belong hereunto, or necessarily ensue hereon. For the person called unto believing is, first, convinced of sin and exposed unto wrath. Secondly, has nothing else to trust unto for help and relief. Thirdly, does actually renounce all other things that tender themselves unto that end. And, therefore, without some act of trust, the soul must lie under actual despair, which is utterly inconsistent with faith or the choice and approbation of the way of salvation before described. Parenthesis number 5. The most frequent declaration of the nature of faith in the Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, is by this trust, and that because it is the act of it which composes the soul and brings it unto all the rest it can attain. For all our rest in this world is from trust in God. And the especial object of this trust so far as it belongs into the nature of that faith whereby we are justified, is God in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. For this is respected where his goodness, his mercy, his grace, his name, his faithfulness, his power are expressed, or any of them, as that which it does immediately rely upon. For they are no way the object of our trust, nor can be, but on the account of the covenant, which is confirmed and ratified in and by the blood of Christ alone. Whether this trust or confidence shall be esteemed of the essence of faith, or as that which, on the first fruit and working of it, we are found in the exercise of it, we need not positively determine. I place it, therefore, as that which belongs unto justifying faith, and is inseparable from it. For if all we have spoken before concerning faith may be comprised under the notion of a firm assent and persuasion, 
Yet, it cannot be so if any such assent be conceivable exclusive of this trust. This trust is that whereof many divines do make special mercy to be the peculiar object, and that especial mercy to be such as to include in it the pardon of our own sins. This by their adversaries is fiercely opposed, and that on such ground as manifest that they do not believe that there is any such state attainable in this life, and that if there were, it would not be of any use unto us, but rather by a means of security and negligence in our duty, wherein they betray how great is the ignorance of these things in their own minds. But mercy may be said to be especial two ways. First, in itself, and in opposition unto common mercy. Secondly, with respect unto him that believes. In the first sense, a special mercy is the object of faith as justifying. For no more is intended by it but the grace of God setting forth Christ to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 and 24. And faith in this special mercy is that which the apostle calls our receiving of the atonement. Romans chapter 5 verse 11. That is, our approbation of it and adherence unto it as the great effect of divine wisdom, goodness, faithfulness, love, and grace, which will therefore never fail to them who put their trust in it. In the latter sense, it is looked on as the pardon of our own sins, in particular, the special mercy of God unto our souls, that this is the object of justifying faith, that a man is bound to believe this in order of nature antecedent unto his justification, I do deny. Neither yet do I know of any testimony or safe experience whereby it may be confirmed. But yet, for any to deny that an undeceiving belief hereon is to be attained in this life, or that it is our duty to believe the pardon of our own sins and that a special love of God in Christ in the order and method of our duty and privileges limited and determined in the gospel so as to come to the full assurance of them, though I will not deny it but that the peace with God which is inseparable from justification may be without them, is to seem not to be much acquainted with the design of God in the gospel, the efficacy of the sacrifice of Christ, the nature and work of faith, or their own duty, nor the professed experience of believers recorded in the scripture. See Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 5, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 2, 10, and 19 to 22, Psalms chapter 46, verse 1 and 2, Psalms 138, verse 7 and 8, etc. Yet, it is granted that all these things are rather fruits or effects of faith as under exercise and improvement than of the essence of it as it is the instrument in our justification. And the trust before mentioned, which is either essential to justifying faith or inseparable from it, is excellently expressed by Bernard non-English words. Concerning this faith and trust, it is earnestly pleaded by many that obedience is included in it. But as to the way and manner thereof, they variously express themselves. 
So Sinaeus and those who follow him absolutely do make obedience to be the essential form of faith, which is denied by Episcopius. The Papists distinguish between faith informed and faith formed by charity, which comes to the same purpose, for both are built on this supposition, that there may be true evangelical faith, that which is required as our duty and consequently as accepted of God, that may contain all in it which is comprised in the name and duty of faith, that may be without charity or obedience, and so be useless. For the Sassanians do not make obedience to be the essence of faith absolutely, but as it justifies. And so they plead unto this purpose that faith without works is dead. But to suppose that a dead faith, or that faith which is dead, is that faith which is required of us in the gospel in the way of duty, is a monstrous imagination. Others plead for obedience, charity, the love of God, to be included in the nature of faith, but plead not directly that disobedience is the form of faith, but that which belongs unto the perfection of it, as it is justifying. Neither yet do they say that by disobedience a continued course of works in obedience, as though that were necessary unto our first justification, is required but only a sincere active purpose of obedience. And thereon, as the manner of our days is, load them with reproaches who are otherwise minded, if they knew who they were. For how impossible it is, according unto their principles, who believe justification by faith alone, that justifying faith should be without a sincere purpose of heart to obey God in all things. I shall briefly declare, for first, they believe that faith is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. Yea, it is a grace wrought in the hearts of men by the exceeding greatness of His power. And to suppose such a grace dead, inactive, unfruitful, not operative unto the great end of the glory of God and the transforming of the souls of them that receive it into His image is a reflection on the wisdom, goodness, and love of God Himself. Secondly, that this grace is in them a principle of spiritual life, which, in the habit of it, as resident in the heart, is not really distinguished from that of all other grace whereby we live to God. So, that there should be faith habitually in the heart. I mean that evangelical faith we inquire after, or actually exercised, where there is not a habit of all other graces, is utterly impossible. Neither is it possible that there should be any exercise of this faith unto justification, but where the mind is prepared, disposed, and determined unto universal obedience. And, therefore, thirdly, it is denied that any faith, trust, or confidence, which may be imagined, so as to be absolutely separate from, and have its whole nature consistent with, the absence of all other graces, is that faith, which is the especial gift of God, and which in the gospel is required of us in a way of duty. And whereas some have said that men may believe and place their firm trust in Christ for life and salvation, and yet not be justified. It is a position so destructive unto the gospel, and so full of scandal unto all pious souls, and contains such an expressed denial 
of the record that God has given concerning His Son, Jesus Christ. As I wonder that any person of sobriety and learning should be surprised unto it. And whereas they plead the experience of multitudes who profess this firm faith and confidence in Christ and yet are not justified. It is true indeed, but nothing unto their purpose. For whatever they profess, not only not one of them does in the sight and judgment of God where this matter is to be tried, but it is no difficult matter to evict them of the folly and falseness of this profession by the light and rule of the gospel, even in their own consciences, if they would attend unto instruction. Wherefore, we say, the faith whereby we are justified is such as is not found in any but those who are made partakers of the Holy Ghost and by Him united unto Christ, whose nature is renewed and in whom there is a principle of all grace and purpose of obedience. Only, we say, it is not any other grace as charity and the like, nor any obedience that gives life and form unto this faith, but it is this faith that gives life and efficacy unto all other graces and form unto all evangelical obedience. Neither does anything hence accrue unto our adversaries who would have all those graces which are, in their root and principle at least, present in all that are to be justified to have the same influence unto our justification as faith has or that we are said to be justified by faith alone, and in explication of it, in answer unto the reproaches of the Romanists, do say we are justified by faith alone, but not by that faith which is alone, that we intend by faith all other graces and obedience also. For besides that, the nature of no other grace is capable of that office which is assigned unto faith in our justification, nor can be assumed into a society in operation with it, namely, to receive Christ and the promises of life by Him and to give glory unto God on their account. So when they can give us any testimony of Scripture assigning our justification unto any other grace or all graces together or all the fruits of them, so as it is assigned unto faith, they shall be attended unto. And this in particular is to be affirmed of repentance concerning what is most vehemently urged, that it is of the same necessity unto our justification as faith is. For this, they say, is easily proved from testimonies of Scripture innumerable, which can call all men to repentance that will be saved. Especially those two eminent places are insisted on. Acts chapter 2, verse 38 and 39 Acts chapter 3 verse 19. But that which they have to prove is not that it is of the same necessity with faith unto them that are to be justified, but that it is of the same use with faith in their justification. Baptism in that place of the apostle, Acts chapter 2 verse 38 and 39, is joined with faith no less than repentance. And in other places it is expressly put into the same condition. Hence, most of the ancients concluded that it was no less necessary unto salvation than faith or repentance itself. Yet, never did any of them assign it the same use in justification with faith. 
but it is pleaded, whatever is a necessary condition of the new covenant is also a necessary condition of justification. For otherwise, a man might be justified and, continuing in his justified estate, not be saved for want of that necessary condition. For by a necessary condition of the new covenant, they understand that without which a man cannot be saved. But of this nature is repentance as well as faith, and so it is equally a condition of our justification. The ambiguity of the signification of the word condition does cast much disorder on the present inquiry in the discourses of some men. But to pass it by at present, I say, final perseverance is a necessary condition of the new covenant. Wherefore, by this rule, it is also of justification. They say, some things are conditions absolutely, such as are faith and repentance and a purpose of obedience. Some are so on some supposition only, namely, that a man's life be continued in this world. Such is a course in obedience and good works and perseverance unto the end. Wherefore, I say then that on supposition that a man lives in this world, perseverance unto the end is a necessary condition of his justification. And if so, no man can be justified while he is in this world. For a condition does suspend that whereof it is a condition from existence until it be accomplished. It is, then, to no purpose to dispute any longer about justification, if indeed no man is, nor can be, justified in this life. But how contrary this is to Scripture and experience is known. If it be said that final perseverance, which is so express a condition of salvation in the new covenant, is not indeed the condition of our first justification, but that it is the condition of the continuation of our justification. Then they yield up their grand position, that whatever is a necessary condition of the new covenant is a necessary condition of justification. For it is that which they call the first justification alone, which we treat about, and that the continuation of our justification depends solely on the same causes with our justification itself shall be afterwards declared. But it is not yet proved, nor ever will be, that whatever is required in them that are to be justified is a condition whereon their justification is immediately suspended. We allow that alone to be a condition of justification which has an influence of causality thereunto, though it be but the causality of an instrument. This we ascribe unto faith alone, and because we do so, it is pleaded that we ascribe more in our justification unto ourselves than they do by whom we are opposed. For we ascribe the efficacy of an instrument herein unto our own faith, when they say one that is a condition or causa sin qua non of our justification. But I judge that grave and wise men ought not to give so much to the defense of the cause they have undertaken, seeing they cannot but know indeed the contrary. For after they have given the specious name of a condition and a causa sin qua non unto faith, they immediately take all other graces and works of obedience 
into the same state with it and the same use in justification. And after this seeming gold has been cast for a while into the fire of disputation, there comes out a calf of a personal inherent righteousness whereby men are justified before God. Non-English words. For as for the righteousness of Christ to be imputed unto us, it has gone into heaven, and they know not what is become of it. Having given this brief declaration of the nature of justifying faith and the acts of it, as I suppose sufficient unto my present design, I shall not trouble myself to give an accurate definition of it. What are my thoughts concerning it will be better understood by what has been spoken than by any precise definition I can give. And the truth is, definitions of justifying faith have been so multiplied by learned men and in so great variety, and there is such a manifest inconsistency among some of them, that they have been of no advantage unto the truth, but occasions of new controversies and divisions, whilst every one has labored to defend the accuracy of his own definition, when yet it may be difficult for a true believer to find anything complied with his own experience in them. Which kind of definitions in these things I have no esteem for? I know no man that has labored in this argument about the nature of faith more than Dr. Jackson. Yet, when he has done all, he gives us a definition of justifying faith, which I know few that will subscribe unto. Yet it is, in the main scope of it, both pious and sound. For he tells us, quote, Here at length we may define the faith by which the just live, to be a firm and constant adherence unto the mercies and the loving kindness of the Lord, or, generally, unto the spiritual food exhibited in this sacred word, as much better than this life itself, and all the contentment it is capable of, grounded on a taste or relish of their sweetness, wrought in the soul or heart of a man by the Spirit of Christ, end quote. Whereunto he adds, quote, The terms, for the most part, are the prophet David's, not metaphorical, as some may fancy, much less equivocally, but proper and homogeneal to the subject defined, end quote. For the lively scriptural expressions of faith by receiving on Christ, leaning on Him, rolling ourselves or our burden on Him, tasting how gracious the Lord is, and the like, which of late have been reproached, yea, blasphemed by many, I may have occasion to speak of them afterwards, as also to manifest that they convey a better understanding of the nature, work, and object of justifying faith unto the minds of men spiritually enlightened than the most accurate definitions that many pretend unto. Some wherefore are destructive and exclusive of them all. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. Many free resources as well as our complete mail order catalog containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more at great discounts are on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780 
If you do not have a web connection, please request a free printed catalog. If you do have a web connection and would like to be added to our email list, please send an email to add at swrb.com or swrb at swrb.com with the word add in the subject line. SWRB's email list is a double opt-in list. So once you've sent us your email address, you'll be asked by email to confirm that you want to join our list using the email address you have supplied. Your email information will be kept confidential, and you can easily remove yourself from our email list by simply emailing us at swrb at swrb.com with the word remove in the subject line. Once you are on our email list, you will be alerted to all the free Reformation resources, free MP3s, free electronic books and texts, etc., that SWRB makes available on the web, as well as, at times, to our best discounts and super specials. We also encourage you to reproduce this audio resource and to pass it on to your friends. But we only authorize this as long as the full contents of the message including the header and trailer, is not altered in any way, and as long as the audio file or cassette is given away for free. Thank you again for listening to this SWRB reading. And remember that Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3 states, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. And 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11 concludes, Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you.